What's going on, listeners? On today's episode of Plus Chirp, we discuss the return to baseball and what the new layout brings to the game and round that up with some debate around should there be an asterisk next to the World Series champion's name. We followed up with our scouting report to discuss naps this week, best types and best places to take them. We move over to give listeners a preview of our partnership with Lost Boys, Inc., our merch supporting their organization, and our pre-sale to order. We head over to today's episodes with Levante Stewart, Executive Director at Lost Boys, Inc., to learn more about the amazing work he's done with their foundation, the experiences and adversity these kids face, and a deeper dive into all things Lost Boys, Inc. Run it. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? It is Wednesday, July 1st, and this is host producer Tommy Gallagher back with the boys, Mitch and Jack. Mitch, how's your last week been? What's going on in your life, man? It's good, Tom. It's really good. So just uh, getting back on the road here this week and excited for that. And and big news, my my roommate made a uh, big boy purchase and he got a a dog. So now we got a little puppy running around the apartment. So that's been uh, the highlight of my week. It's like the greatest thing ever. I get a dog. I don't have to pay for it. I don't have to take it out. I don't have to worry about it when, you know, it's getting into the garbage. I just walk outside. I see a cute little puppy and I get to play with it. It's great. Best case scenario. Uncle Mitch living the dream. What kind of dog? Oh, she's beautiful. She's a uh, purebreed Australian shepherd, like dark blue eye spots all over. She's she's beautiful. And she's a little she's a little shit, though. She's uh, she's getting into some trouble already. So she's super cute, though. She's a lot of fun. Wouldn't be a puppy if they weren't the, a little devil every once in a while. So that's awesome, man. I'm excited to hear more about that and hear about the battle wound she gives you. She goes through the whole teething process. So oh, Jack, she's going go- through it. She's going through it. My heels. She was biting my heels the other day, and I start bleeding. I'm like, "What's going on? How did that happen? Unbelievable." She packs a punch. I love it. I love it. How about you, Jack? How's your last week been, man? Hey, been good. Good to see you guys. Uh, Question for you off the hop. Shoe. I'll go over to you because I've seen you crush food in your day. How many hot dogs do you guys eat a year? Just ballpark. Not ballpark dogs, but ballpark range. Are we talking normal Wrigley Fields open year, or are we talking Corona year? Uh, just a regular year. Man, Man, that's, that's a, a hot tough one. I don't I think, think it's as many as I would think. I would say I eat hamburgers more if I'm going to grill, so I'd say probably yeah. over under 75. 75 hot dogs I think, a year? I think, I think 75 is aggressive. That, that's a lot, okay. I feel like. Right? Maybe, maybe, maybe let's go let's go. 45. I'm thinking, though, too, if I'm going to go to Portillo's, maybe I'll get two hot dogs or something like that. You know what I mean? Okay. Or like if I grill out, maybe I'll have two yeah, hot dogs. True. Okay. I'm, well, I'm, like with a, you, I'm with you there, Tom, on the hamburgers, though. I mean, I eat burgers quite a bit as opposed to any other kind of like grill food. Hamburgers are kind of my go-to. Well, I was just curious because we got 4th of July coming up. That's a big hot dog holiday. And I heard today that experts recommend that you eat one hot dog a year, which <laughs> that's not fair. That's not realistic. I think 75 is a little bit more than one. So <laughs> I might have Jack, a beat how, many, on how many you think you can knock down in the sitting? You think in you got one sitting? Yeah. Or Joey Chestnut? Uh, I'd say I could confidently take down 13 hot dogs in a sitting. 13? That's pretty good. No time limit? No. No time limit. Time? Just go for it. We should try it sometime. See, that's a different story. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, there's. I guess there's got to be a time limit. 
Whatever. Yeah, More, yeah whatever. How many Leave do you think you could take down? What, what did you say you could take down, Jack? In a, in a whole in a whole year. That's the thing is like I don't go out of my way to eat hot dogs. So I would say in the average year, I probably eat between five and ten hot dogs. I don't know. I usually get a dog when I go to a baseball stadium, MLB stadium. But besides that, I like brats. I like burgers. Mm-hmm. I don't create dogs too often. And then I heard this dummy on the radio today saying that you're only supposed to have one hot dog a year. Are you kidding me? So my argument would be everyone, if you're going to follow that, save that for 4th of July. Yeah. I think 4th of July is though like where I would rack up the most hot dogs. I would eat. I was, so was going to say, eat. I was going to say, I wouldn't want to eat just one hot dog on 4th of July. I'd rather eat no hot dogs than eat one because if I'm going to eat one on 4th of July, I'm eating like 16 of them. Fair. Maybe maybe we'll have to wrap this up and, and figure out how, how next week how many we we ate over the weekend. Maybe that's what we can tally up this weekend is how many how many dogs we ate over the fourth of July weekend. I like that. And we like can that. see what follower had the most most hot dogs ate over the weekend. We can maybe throw that out there. So we'll throw out some over unders <laughs> for the fans. Yeah. yeah. I got it like at like four and a half for Jack. Okay. I feel, I feel like I could probably be about four and a half as well. Yeah. So Sweet dude, yeah, that's kind of a crazy. Are you doing anything other than eating hot dogs? What's what's no? What's, well, what's, I wasn't really planning on eating that many dogs until we put this bet in place. <laughs> okay, now we might have to to prove something this weekend. So that was such anyway, an out of pocket. I don't, I didn't know, I didn't know that that was coming up. I wasn't prepared for any hot dog questions today. So thanks for yeah, catching me bad. off guard. <laughs> Good to see you guys. Let's get started. Good yeah, to see you. Let's get started. So, um, MLB has gotten the go-ahead. Uh, we're going to be going into, I don't know, second spring training, summer training, getting ready for the season. Um, walk me through your guys' thoughts. Mitch, on your end, you know, you're back in the scouting world. Um, you know, your life's probably been it changed up a little bit. But in terms of just baseball in general and the MLB, what uh, what are your thoughts on the, the whole new summer training and the season setup and, and whatnot? I'm stoked. I'm excited, man. I'm excited. It's getting going. It's uh, it, we've talked about it a ton the last couple of weeks, and um, you know, we were afraid it wasn't actually going to go through. So I'm super excited. I don't care about the format. I know people are hammering the format. I don't care. I just want to see the boys on the field playing baseball. And I actually see, think it's like super, super cool that they're bringing 60 guys on. It's just like interesting. It, it's cool to see all the minor leaguers get called up. Uh, a couple guys, Jack, I remember uh, playing against Dalton Varsho from UW-Milwaukee. I saw he was on the 60-man out with, I believe he's with the Diamondbacks. So it's just, it's cool seeing some of those minor leaguers kind of live out their dream a, a little bit early. They get to be around the big league guys. And I thought it was insane that some of the guys from this year's draft were put on that 60-man roster. That's just so uh so unique and nothing like that will ever happen again ideally hopefully <laughs> hopefully we don't go through this again but uh i thought that was just super cool man i i think it's cool so i'm excited super super positive optimistic it'll be interesting to see how the season plays out with the whole corona uh inactive list and, and to see how many guys on that uh active roster they have right now will actually be put into play it will be fun to watch and Hopefully it's not too many. Hopefully the guys are staying safe, but it'll, it'll be uh, interesting to see, man. It's setting up for a fun year. Yeah, yeah. the nail on the head, Shu. Um, the 2020 MLB season is pretty much like college summer ball. I mean, 
60 games in 66 days. It's like we're playing in the Northwoods. Big rosters, every game counts. That's going to be super exciting. A team could start 10 and 20, and in a 162-game season, like it used to be, that doesn't matter too much because it's it's still April or whatever. But um, you could start out 10 and 20 this year, and you need to go on an absolute heater now. Uh, but like you said, Shu, what I'm scared about is just the thought of games not even being played. You know, the, I don't love that the league isn't taking the bubble approach, which means that spring training 2.0 or whatever we're going to call it will be played um, at team's home field. And there will be a significant amount of travel once the season is underway. And um, if you look at the tour, I mean, golf is is naturally the most social distance sport going through a restart right now. And they're in their third week of being back, and they had a number of cases pop up. Guys withdraw because their caddies had it or family members had it. And now I know new cases is to be expected once we get larger groups back together. But it'll be interesting to see how how the league handles it. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. And to your point, Jack, like that's the scariest part is the sport that like you know should obviously be handling it the best is is still struggling. But I think we think I think we're going to see cases here and there. It's just going to be a matter of society's opinion on how we want to react to it. But I hope that we can kind of get past that overall fear. And hopefully have some good precautions um, in place and and hopefully we can get through a full season. But um, that kind of brings me to my next point. We got some sports coming back, such as, you know, NBA and NHL, who already played a full season or in the NBA's case is going to be playing a couple of regular season games and then going into the playoffs. And people are talking about that because, you know, they came into the year and played a majority of the season at an equal, you know, normal level playing field. And now they're going to be going into these weird playoff formats. And people are saying, you know, is there an asterisk next to these champions names in the NBA or the NHL who are facing just kind of drastic changes to the season as a whole? The MLB is going to come in day one with everyone on the the same playing field. And they're going to go through the season the same exact way. You know, everyone is going to have the same exact factors put in front of them. And it's not going to be thrown at them 75% of the way through the season. Do you think that the MLB should have an asterisk next to the World Series champions? Like, or do you guys think that whoever wins has won it fair and square? Jack, I'll throw it over to you first, man. No, I don't think there should be. Like you said, everyone's playing under the same guidelines, Mm -hmm. uh, the same regulations. And asterisks are meant to be used when there's an uneven playing field. 2017 Astros, PED use, the Black Sox back in 1919 or whatever it was 2020 will always be looked at as a weird year naturally and there's going to be a lot of built uses for teams and management when they're playing a 60 game season but I mean it is what it is you can't jump through all these hoops and have all these disagreements with the players and the owners to have it all end with well whoever wins the world series put an asterisk it's a hard word it's a hard word to say (laughs) Um, but you can't go through all that hard work and then just say that all right the winner you know Asterisk. Am I saying that right? Asterisk. 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 You get my point. Asteroid. Okay. Actually, you that? You're a little closer to some organizations. No, no, I'm I'm in the same boat, man. I think it's I. You made a good point earlier talking about the college season. When you get right in there, right, you play 60 games, you get in the College World Series. Uh, we don't throw an asterisk on the College World Series every year. They play 60 games. They're throwing the same exact deals. They're playing the same exact game. It's just something different. Like, the the playing field is even. Like you said, Jack, the only thing I will say 
is if someone were to get the coronavirus and infect multiple players from a team that is a competitor and they are taken out of the running because of the coronavirus, does your opinion on it change? See, that's a good point. Uh, Because that's like my biggest, that's my biggest like hold up on, on that question. Outside of that, I'm, I'm all in, man. I'm like, let's test this thing out. This is cool. Winner wins, man. It's, it's no different than anything else. No, that's a great question. And, and not to answer your question with the question, but my only um, thought process that I had kind of against it would be in terms of stats and records. You know, what if you have a guy that goes out there and has 10 starts and he throws 75 innings or whatever it is, but he puts up a 1.1 ERA as a starter, you know, it's tough to credit him with a, a full body of work from a season when it was only 60 games. That's where that's where it gets a little bit different. I mean, not really. It, it gets clearly different because he didn't throw nearly as many innings as he would in a regular season. But in terms of crowning the champion, it is what it is. It's just this is the season this year, so just roll with it, play it out, and the winner is just an, another World Series winner. Yeah, and I, I think people are making the argument that – they're making the Nationals argument, right? The Nationals it, it play the same – season last year nationals don't make the playoffs they don't win the world series i see that i see that side of it but i also think of it as like there are 60 games and you know how it is in college baseball i think every single game is going to be super meaningful for these guys that want to win a championship and i think you're going to see some of the best baseball day in and day out because they know they're going to be able to do it for 60 games i don't care what anyone says man you play 162 games every year there's going to be at bats there's going to be days for majority of guys where they're going to be pretty beat up. They're not going to be performing at their best, but I think you'll see a high level baseball in, in that 60 games, which will kind of offset that concept of, Oh, the best team may not get there because it's 60 games. I think there will be a little bit of uh, balancing out in there because I think the best teams will play at a higher caliber for those 60 games. Is Agreed. that going to make things, you know, every game matters that much more? I wonder how much more risk we're going to see in terms of base stealing and and guys trying to, um, you know, well, I guess DHing, it's, it's pitching isn't going to be a factor, bringing in no, DHs. I see, for, I see what you're saying, Tom. What, what there's going to be a lot of crazier really, things. Exactly. And it really forces good managers. It, well, let me take that back. It really forces managers to manage well. If you have a really, really good club, over the course of 162 games, that team is just naturally going to outplay the opposition and likely run away with with a pennant. In 60 games, when when they have a rule in there about um, three batter minimum and they're going DHs and it's just 60 games and it's naturally a shorter season, you're really going to see good managers um, and bad managers be exposed. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be exciting and. Honestly, who knows what's going to happen until it happens, and I think that's one of the most exciting things about it. We This is unprecedented times, and it'll be fun to kind of see. So any last thoughts on that, or do you guys want to head over to the scouting report? No, man, let's kick it. I'm super excited for it. I think it's going to be super unique. It's going to be totally different. Um, and, hey, maybe we'll find out that we like baseball in a little bit of a shorter season. I don't know about 60 games, but maybe, <laughs> you know, 160-plus. Plus the playoffs will be, uh, you know, kind of change the the scenery for the future years. Yeah, yeah. My my closing thought would just be bet on the Cubs. 
just take the Cubs' future right now because that lineup shapes up well in this format. Dodgers, Dodgers in five, Jack. Shut up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right, let's over to the scouting report, which lines up perfectly because I took one of these right before we started the show. Um, this week is naps. So on paper, it kind of sounds weird, but what I mean by that is types of naps, places to take naps, kind of the scenario that goes along playing into a nap. So all things best naps. We started last week, Mitch, Jack, Tommy. We'll go Jack, Tommy, Mitch, Jack, Tommy, Mitch, Jack, Tommy, Mitch. Jack, go. All right, I'm going to – this is a no-brainer. So this is QB1 coming out of college. Masters Sunday nap. Mm, yeah, that's off my list. I don't even have to explain it. It just is what it is. There's no real scenario. It's just a Sunday Hopefully good weather. This year it's going to be in the fall, so it'll be a little bit funky. But, man, Jim Nance's voice is putting you right to sleep. You wake up, Tiger's in contention. What a day. Okay, so I kind of got a similar Sunday one. I have in a recliner on Sunday at halftime of the afternoon football game. Oh, great pick. So when it goes from the noon, ga- when it goes from the noon game to the later, sl- later slate or halftime of the noon game? I was going to say halftime of the 325 kickoff game. So like or or in between. So the afternoon Sunday football nap in a, but in a recliner though. In a recliner makes it that much better. Atta boy. Mitch, I'm I'm ten, I'm mm, I want to throw out my my number 1 pick right now, but I think I'm going to save it because I think someone else might say my number 2 and if someone says my number 2, I'm totally screwed for the day. So I'm going to go Post-Thanksgiving turkey nap. Oh! How did I not even think of that? I didn't have that on my list. Post-Thanksgiving turkey nap. That's money. Yeah, that's a good one, man. And it's you're unbeatable. Just food coming out. You're tired out from all the cousins being around. You're ready to just KO. It's beautiful. That's right, a Jack. great... That Yeah, that's solid. That's solid. All right. Uh, number two, the nap after a long beach day. Damn. So you're kind of sunburnt. Um, dinner's getting ready, but you're not helping because you're zonked and you wake up, crush dinner. It's awesome. You're kind of warm because you're a little bit sunburnt. Is that has you, have you guys been there before? Yeah, actually had. Yeah, I know. What you're I had about. The, on the beach nap, but I think that after the beach nap sounds way better than than on the beach because on the beach you're kind of building up for that everything you pretty much just said there, where the sun takes the day out of you and everything. So I, I agree with that one. That's a good one, Jack. Um, I have in my two spot. <clears throat> In class in high school on the desk, <laughs> just 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 the arm fold. When the teacher when the teacher one? throws on a movie or something like that, and it's one of the cool ones that doesn't give you a worksheet that you have to do with it, you just kind of like start start snoozing <laughs> off in is, class. That is a good nap. Good that pick. Good that is a good nap. All right, I'm gonna go with my top slot. This was my number one. Um, <laughs> Bear with me, Trevor. You may have a you may have a tough time fitting this on the scouting report, but it is the I have so much work to do. I'm going to nap instead. Nap. The procrastination you know nap, nap. The procrastination nap. When you just have so much shit to do, you're like, it's Fuck exhausting it, I'm to think about your to do list. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that. I'm a, my last one's gonna be the wake up and you're there nap. Yep. When you're, when you're on a travel day and it's. Usually it's this is something when it's under a, a four hour trip, and next thing you know you zonk out, you wake up, and you're just there. You're like, oh, that wasn't too bad. Mm-hmm. I like that one. I 
I have gosh, oh, I'm I'm picking between two. I'll say what my my other one is. I'm actually not gonna go with this one. I'll, I'll share why, but I'll, I'll, I'm gonna go with the when you're in college and you do a little morning darty drinking, and it's a nap after the darty before the nighttime drinking. Yep, before the darty turns into a nardy, a little yep. power nap. Yep, the darty to nardy power nap. To nardy. That's a great yep. answer. Did you guys have any? Uh, wait, sure. Are you going on number three here? I, yeah, I got I got number three. Mine mine was actually similar to Tom's, and uh, but it is the the Friday pre going out nap. You're exhausted from the week. You need to pick me up before you go out. It's the Friday like five thirty p.m. power nap, and then you pregame. Yeah, we didn't have any of that at Iowa State. We started drinking at five p.m. on Fridays. FAC <laughs> right after class. You're so Jesus, sick, dude. Jesus. You're so, so sick. Yeah, so sick. Um, Sorry, I went to class once in a while, Tom. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't have class on Friday. So. <laughs> <laughs> Double down on the sick button there, um, Jack. What other ones are Mitch? What other ones did you guys have? I have a couple other ones that weren't so. I had one that was similar to shoes, um, <clears throat> and I didn't go with it because there's too much overlap, but. I haven't gotten to this point yet, but every family has an uncle or two that after a few beers, usually at Thanksgiving, they fall asleep on the couch when the football game's on and the food's cooking in the kitchen and all that. But the thing is, is that situational nap isn't as good as it is because of the quality of the nap you're taking. It's because you've completely removed yourself from all responsibility to help getting ready for the Thanksgiving dinner party. Yeah, that's I agree. A power move. That, that is a power nap. Power nap. I didn't really I had, have any other. Um, I, I mean, didn't have any other bank. I had one like that came to mind. It was like Jack, you know that like pre. <laughs> Uncle Philby's was king of it. It was like pre lifting in the morning, like five minute chair nap. <laughs> that one. Yeah. 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 That, exactly. That's a good one. I. So Jack, you said I already kind of said this as we went through it, but I had, at the beach on a towel. I always think that sleeping on a beach is pretty electric. I think that the Sunday football Sunday Masters one kind of goes hand in hand with just a hungover Sunday nap. It's just any hangover nap is just beautiful. Um, we kind of said it too with the wake up and you're there nap, like any sort of travel nap, whether it be car rides or airplanes, phenomenal. I also had kind of similar to that napping on the school bus in the morning as a kid if you're like in middle school. Um, but that's kind of hard sometimes because you're, like, smacking the window the whole time and it's, like, cold yeah. as shit usually. But, um, yeah, I'm surprised there wasn't more emphasis on the car ride nap. I think especially, too, if you're doing an early morning, like, drive and you everyone gets in the car. Or if you're going to, like, an early flight and your mom wakes you up at, like, 4 a.m. for, like, a oh, yeah. 9 a.m. flight and you're, like, on the way to the airport. I don't know if that classifies as a nap. but You know, you know what's a good one but a dangerous one? What's that? The, the Metra nap. That's mm. a dangerous mm. one. That's a dangerous game you're playing. It's a good one. Dude, it's I get so much anxiety execute, but it's watching people one. on the train. To the the Metra is the train for all of our, our non-Chicago listeners. Yeah. But yeah, because if you, you know, those doors close quick. Oh, yeah, if you're not ready to go, you're done. <laughs> you're, getting off, you're getting off 10 miles away from your stop. Yeah. That was a good one. Good work I think there, guys. a good one. Before we get too tired talking about naps um let's head on to something more exciting so jack kind of want to walk our listeners through um 
our whole new per- or partnership, merchandise, everything like that. Exactly. Um, yeah, we're very excited about this. It's been in the works for about a month now, and um, we'll have a lot more information coming soon. But to sum it up, we're partnering with Lost Boys, Inc., which is a non-for-profit organization here in Chicago that, that uses baseball as a way to help kids. Um, on their website, you can see it says, our mission is to decrease violence, improve the social and emotional conditions, and provide financial opportunities among the youth in Chicago's most needy communities. At Lost Boys, we provide instruction, training, and the competition of organized baseball and softball to youths who are not likely exposed to the game and its many disciplines. We use this platform to influence and impact their lives, resulting in character development, positive output, and good decision-making. Um, so an awesome, awesome foundation that's actually founded by our guests of today's show. And like Tom said, we've designed two hats and a T-shirt that will go on pre-sale very soon. And part of the proceeds will go towards Lost Boys to help them grow and, and increase their resources uh, to keep doing what they're doing. Um so be on the lookout on social for some more information there, and we're, we're really excited to get going. Yeah, so without further ado, we will welcome on Levante Stewart, talk a little bit more about Lost Boys, and uh, just like Jack said, be on the lookout on social for more of that information, and really excited for you guys to listen to today's episode. So appreciate it, guys, and we'll see you next Wednesday. Have a wonderful 4th of July, and um, yeah, have a great day. All right, before we get to today's interview, I want to tell you guys about Hit Factory Athletics. Uh, we're all baseball guys here, softball girls here. We all have that one teammate that looks like they got dressed in the dark when they're not wearing their practice gear or their uniform. Um, and if you can't think of that teammate, then it's most likely you. So head over to hitfactoryathletics.com and you'll see sweatshirts, t-shirts, hats, backpacks, phone cases, even off-field training equipment like weighted bats and launch angle tees. Uh, they'll take care of you from head to toe. Find them on Instagram and Twitter at hitfactorybsb or their website, which again is hitfactoryathletics.com, and use the code CHIRP for 15% off your purchase at checkout. All right, we're sitting down with Levante Stewart, who is the founder of an incredible organization here in Chicago called Lost Boys, Inc. Levante, thank you so much for coming on. We're chat with you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me, Mitch and Jack. Appreciate it. You bet. Um, so like I said, I know you and I had a short phone call, and uh, I could tell right away that you're super passionate about what you're doing. Um, so kind of take us back to the beginning of Lost Boys, Inc., and where you guys started and why. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, let me, let, me, let me ask you this. Uh, are we doing, are we capable, am I capable of here of showing you any kind of video during this? Or is this all audio? Or is this a video podcast? Think, yeah, it's just going to come out all audio. Okay. All right. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you the narrative then. Uh, we just had this really nice video came out, kind of sums it up. But yeah, I was, um, you know, local little league coach, um, early part of the um, beginning of 2000 and the early part of the, the beginning of the millennial. And uh, so around 2005, 2006, I was coaching, you know, normal little league. And, and um, so around close to 2008, the president folded the league and, no real understanding of why it was thriving. We were serving, you know, well over 200 kids, multiple teams. So a very um, successful local league by all means. And it was it had actually been resurrected. It had been gone for like 20 years, the name of the league. And so, you know, I was attracted to that because it was the league 
well, at least the name, South Shore Little League is what I grew up in. So, um, yeah, first year I coached, won 12 U League championships. So I was hooked, right? Um, and so anyway, I'm like preparing and trying to let the players know that, hey, I'm going to get you over to another league, another team. This one is folding up. And uh, we just had like a traumatic experience. It was like, you know, middle of the day. It was in the early summer. So um, two guys are like chasing another guy across the field with guns out. So I'm like old school. I hit the dirt. The kids were like very desensitized. They were like laughing, joking, taking bets if they were going to catch the guy. And so I really realized at that moment how desensitized kids had become to gun violence and how in such a freakishly weird way it had become a norm in not just my community, but in our American subculture as black Americans. So this penchant for gun violence, you know, had really spiraled out of control. So I was like, you know, I grew up in, uh, as a teenager in the, in the 90s, right? So I was what you call the boys in the hood generation kind of kid. So I'm Gen X. And so that's when, you know, this proliferation in gangs and gun violence and all that stuff really, really took off. It was like early 90s, late 80s after the uh, kind of the crack epidemic. So anyway, little back history of how that impact, you know, fast forward into like 2000 and beyond, why it's kind of, you know, the environment that it is. And so, um, yeah, I, it really, it really hit me in a, a place with them going through that or not them going through it, me going through it and them not really going through anything. And I'm like, really, you know, what are we going to do at this point? So I did what I only knew how to do at that time. And instead of uh, just trying to get a guys to another league, I'm like, you know, we'll just try to keep going. So we turned into a barnstorming club and I would just reach out to all kind of leagues and try to get some pickup games and, you know, reach out to local stores to donate hats or shirts or whatever I could, you know, muster up to put together for that team. And so one thing led to another and eventually it became, you know, an organization. So yeah, it was, it was just the intent to keep a team together and it grew into something much bigger. Yeah. And before we keep going, we were just joined by uh, our fourth guest today. We had King Carter sitting on your lap there. So <laughs> we're going to, yeah. looks like he got dragged away by somebody else. We'll say, uh, we'll say bye to him for now, but um, that's interesting. So over time, it sounds like you guys realized that you're kind of tackling a pretty big problem, you know, around the country, but especially here in Chicago too, with gun violence and things like that. So where did you guys start? Were you just trying to target that youth level or were you, were you taking the approach to maybe get in touch with some of the local schools or high schools or how did it kind of grow for you guys at the very beginning? Yeah. So it just, you know, it really, started out local, stayed local with just the low intent of serving kids with just regular, you know, youth little league. And um, we started right here in South Shore and we actually stayed here. And it just, you know, we're still here, but we didn't start expanding until last year. So as of last year, we expanded to Pilsen and to Humble Park. Um, so, yeah, it was that first like nine years was a really slow grind. I mean, you know, we've gotten acknowledgement for our work in different ways, but, you know, it was just never this proliferation where it totally blew up 
and I don't think I really wanted it to. Um, the event, the advantage of being small, uh, you know, it has its advantages, right? For example, I know every kid in my program's name. I probably know every parent's name um, or the majority of. So therefore, our staff, they really get to know the kids and the parents on a far more uh, intimate and deeper level as a coach and as a mentor. And then we use the platform of baseball to really extend our role as coaches into the lives of kids. Kids, I think that is the biggest message or point I think I can make today on the program is, you know, the significance of coaches and the roles that we play in children's lives, especially children who face various challenges and barriers, inequalities. You know, they've got their amount of stress, their amount of trauma, their amount of emotional hurt is far different, you know, from the average kid that can just get on the field and clearly focus on baseball and getting better and thinking about playing high school and thinking about playing pros. But, you know, over 75 percent of the kids that I serve might have a totally different thought on their mind. One of the thoughts is, and, I, you know, it's sad to say, and it's not an indictment on my own people, but it's a reality is that some of these kids are just hoping and thinking, man, I want to get home from school today and I don't want to get shot. Um, I mean, look at Chicago right now. Father's Day weekend, we're talking about 106 shootings in communities like mine. Um, so, yeah, when we when we came with this concept, you know, the last thing the kids were thinking about was just getting better at baseball. But when we started addressing these different things in their lives and they seen that they had support, then they were able to begin to focus on, you know, the baseball so development happened in other areas of their life that improved their ability to learn and get better at baseball and vice versa. So uh, it's such a really unique platform to teach from. Yeah, and I saw I saw a short film that someone put together for you guys, and, and there was a part in there where you bring up your team before a game and you let them know that one of their teammates lost their older brother to gun violence um, that day or maybe the day before, uh, whatever the context was, but... And then before you guys break the huddle, um, there was a member of your team that said, let's take a moment of silence for for that individual. And I just think it's so cool and it was so impressive that a kid that age was able to wrap his mind around the fact um, of what actually happened and then spoke up. And I, I think it just speaks volumes to what you guys have going on and, and what you've instilled in the young players. Thank you. And yeah, and I, I really love to attribute that to being out on the diamond. Um, you know, I often teach the kids, my own kids, anybody I talk to, I tell them for me, I give them an analogy and I tell them, you know, um, the baseball field to me is what the sanctuary is to religious people, right? It's holy ground. This is our place we come to. This is where we get healing. This is where, you know, we can put our problems behind us for a moment or we can begin to try to solve them. So that, you know, and I know a lot of sports present that that opportunity in that environment. But, man, it's just something about baseball. You know, we're quirky. You know, us baseball players are all quirky. We're different than any other sport, man. And the connection between baseball players, and I've played a lot of sports, and by far there is no stronger connection than baseball teammates to me. Maybe hockey comes close. I know football is, but there's a lot of people on the football team. Um, 
so yeah, baseball really presented that place. And I think you were able to see something like, and that was the video I was, was referencing when I asked about was this visual or audio, but um, yeah, that, that level of empathy and sensitivity to each other is not the norm, right? That took a few years of conditioning and training and them being together and being vulnerable for to each other to know you know at some point on the team you're going to learn things that your teammate is going through and sometimes we don't want to share those things they be may, may be embarrassing right um you know if 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 you're poorer than the other guys or you know you see some of your teammates and their dads are at the games or they're, they're, they're helping coach or they're doing whatever and then you know you don't have dad necessarily at home and so it's you know all of these things and so to have this group of guys man that can rally around each other yeah that was a really uh powerful moment and i'm thankful that that uh james murray produced that video he actually worked on it four years ago and we never got it finished and some things just happened and so he came back really contrite and he was very apologetic and you know i think i responded with with a lot of grace and i'm like man you know nobody worried about that thank you this product is so beautiful and so we got it it came out a couple two days ago and so it just came at a good time because, you know, I was in a, a place emotionally just trying to return to the field and trying to get the numbers back up. And so to see that, it just felt so good to see exactly what you said, to see the growth and the maturity, even though that was only four years ago. Like, for example, that kid that was in there about a, less than a year later uh, and he did his thing. As you can see, he was the MVP that day. We came back down five runs and we won that playoff game. Um, and then we went on to the champion. We went another round and ended the championship. And unfortunately, we lost a really close championship. But uh, that kid, particularly Carmelo, a uh, very interesting story. You know, about a year later or less, less than a year, he lost another brother to gun violence. And so uh, and we've I've coached and we've coached multiple of his siblings there in our programs. And eventually Melo got in trouble like last year in the spring uh, going into eighth grade. And so he had gotten some serious trouble, you know, like a carjacking, no weapon or nothing, but it was still serious, you know, juvenile. And so, you know, he was in the detention center. And so we use this platform also as advocates. So I'm an ex-offender, right? So I know what that feels like. I know what that means. I know a lot of things about that. So part of my goal is to keep kids from getting into that system in the first place. So, you know, one of the things I did, I put the polo on, went to court, presented myself, pleaded with the judge. She allowed him to come home on house arrest with my wife and my family. They were accepting of it. He's classmates with my son. They've been teammates since they were little. Um, and I always took a very particular interest in him because I knew he had a special story. I knew he had really tough situation he came from. He's like he's got like 10 siblings. Right. It's 11 of them. So uh, anyway, he came, stayed with us. We got him through eighth grade. He just graduated, he and my son. And so now he's reunited with his father and family uh, in Milwaukee. But I'm so proud of him. And, you know, like Lost Boys getting in the middle, that's kind of what we do. And we do it with baseball. So I really, really think without Lost Boys, that kid, you know, definitely gets lost in the system. And in a couple of years from now, either he could be a victim of gun violence or he could be a perpetrator of gun violence so we try to interrupt early like this right and just get them pivot towards something else so yeah that 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 when i was really emotional about 
And then there's other stories in there, right? Follow-up stories. But all of those kids, except I think two or three kids you saw on that entire team are still with us. Most of them now are turning into like teen workers. So this is either like the last year to play or they've already turned over into our teen uh, program and they're working. That's incredible. Yeah. And I know Mitch has some questions for you, so I'll get it over to him in a second. But I'm, I'm wondering what the process was like for you in the very beginning. Was there any stages where you had to kind of gain trust within the community or what did very, very stage one look like for Lost Boys when you were first trying to get the word out to people around you? Oh, man, it was hard. And in some ways, it's, it's, it's really weird and still hard. I always say that and I kind of laugh about it. Like we're not as known in our own community as you would think. But I can go outside of the community and we're known. People have heard of us around the city, uh, around the state, around the, the nation, uh, even to, in some instances internationally, because we've done some things, you know, we're, we're part of something that's international with sports and with the United Nations and with other stuff. And just to come home and not, you know, um, have that same acknowledgement or recognition that we exist is it's sometimes kind of tough. So we're, we're still working to do a little bit better uh, of, about branding and marketing in the community itself to make sure that people know who we are. But man, the beginning of the process, like anybody starting a nonprofit was tough. And this one was even more tougher because it's sports. And at that time, there was not, well, there, there existed this huge body of work which uh, we use this, this theory, social science theory, sports-based youth development. But SBYD had not been widely recognized at that time, or many people hadn't heard of it. I mean, inherently, we knew of these positive things that people get out of sports, how you, you know, teamwork, uh, you build character, you learn lessons in life on and off the field. We hear all of that in sports. And, but it never was really defined in a way that most nonprofits have to define themselves with their mission and their vision and their program goals and objectives and the metrics. How do you reach these you know, goals and objectives? So and there was just not a large space in the philanthropic community for sports, especially developmental sports like us. Um, but over the years, you know. I align myself with other advocates in, in, in our industry, and we just kept hammering the concepts home to people. I kept talking to people, but I mean, it was really a grind, I guess. Um, yeah, first building a 501c3 and put, put it, building it into a full-fledged nonprofit so that I could receive support and legally receive donations. So that was the initial reason. And initially, I wasn't trying to do anything but be a local league. Um, and then at some point I realized that I could do way more than just be a local league. And um, and I think, you know, once that kicked in, it really became tough and has taken a lot of my time because, again, I have to design those programs, make sure they're in alignment with these social science theories. And so I had to do all of the egghead nerd academia stuff. And then there's the implementation and there's the evaluation and improvement cycles and then going out and continuously trying to get it funded, um, trying to find spaces that we can use. Initially, in the beginning, a lot of this stuff was asking people, right, can you donate? Can you, you know, donate us the space? Can you donate us equipment? Can you donate us, you know, pants and socks? And uh, 
so yeah, I think the first grant I ever got was was maybe 2009 or 2010, and it was like $8,000. And boy, I thought I hit the jackpot. <laughs> well, now our budget is like 377000 a year. So, you know, that 8000 So, you know, I probably really appreciate this 377 if I felt that way about eight. But yeah, it's, it's been a real grind. But I'll tell you what, Jack, it's been one of the most rewarding things I've ever done in my life. It helped me personally and professionally as well. Um, I've become an expert at nonprofit development and nonprofit leadership. Um, yeah, through the powerful platform of sports. Well, all these stories, I mean, I, I literally had chills when you're talking about your players uh, obviously being desensitized to violence and, and seeing some things that, that most 10, 11, 12 year olds, most people will never experience in their entire life. What is your process when you do finally get players on the field? I know going through sports as a player, um, it builds such great morale and character and and those pieces are obviously part of the um you know some of the things that you're kind of striving for is it a process with with your players when they do get on the field or do you kind of see them having a place to to just release some of the negative things that go on in their community is that just enough or is there kind of a process that you have to um you know bring your kids down to kind of get to the point where you see their character change outside of just being an athlete or a player? Yeah, no, great question, Mitch. And absolutely, it's a little bit of both. And that's what's so beautiful about it, right? One part of it is just our regular humanity, our ability to empathize, sympathize, and connect with other people. So that's just one part of it that every coach in America should do, right? Then there's that more complicated part when you're dealing with children who are inundated by trauma day in, day out. And here's the thing that most people don't realize that trauma does not have to be direct. I don't have to get shot at every day to feel the negative and disparate impact of gun violence. If I'm hearing it every day, if I'm hearing the stories in my community, if I'm going out with mom to go to the store and we can't go, we got to turn off and we can't go up the street because there's yellow tape police and a dead body with a sheet in the middle of it at 2.30 in the afternoon, that's traumatizing as hell. Yeah, right. The average American kid don't got to see that every day. And so these kids are seeing that. And we're talking middle class, upper middle class kids. We're talking uh, you know, low income kids. So there's a blend in my community, first of all, you know, uh, actually my community is very interesting. It's very beautiful. It's, it's, um, we call it the soul coast. It's the South Southern end of Lake Michigan in Chicago, right? So we're South shore we're the South shore of the lake and it is the soul coast. It is the home of some of the most influential African-Americans that have walked this nation. Um, whether people like them or not, we got Reverend Jesse Jackson Sr. lives half a mile probably from my office. Um, you know, Barack Obama got yeah. married in our community. Yeah. Um, his wife is from my community. I recruit from the school that she grad her elementary school she graduated from. We've got a very strong partnership. We've been recruiting kids from there from day one. Um, so the community, you know, it's not just completely downtrodden. It's went through a lot of changes in the last few decades. So um, yeah, and not to ramble or digress, but it's so much to try to unpack. But yeah, the process with dealing with the kids, sometimes it takes us that and we've listened really to 
she is so amazing. Megan Bartlett uh, with We Coach, and she used to help Paul uh, Paul Kamar. I never get Paul's name right. We're up to us sports, and so that's what Megan does. She does a lot of curriculum development and coaches trainings around uh, trauma based coaching, and so you know, big credit and kudos to Dr. Bruce Perry, who's like the leading expert on this in terms of uh, Dr. Perry studies like neurological things, right, that connect with trauma and with coaching. And so we've gotten like super deep, right? We're beyond baseball and, you know, war stats and all of these improvement drills. It's almost like baseball has the focus of improvement in baseball has kind of become the last thing as when we started out, it was the first thing, right? But then I still saw even getting a player to be as good as I possibly could, there were other deficiencies and holes left in their life. And I saw it still wasn't getting plugged. And so then when we started experimenting and trying and tying in these other components and really digging down into this mentor stuff and really looking at it from a, a trauma based coaching perspective, we really started seeing some results. Kids started really opening up and yeah, we could really begin to see changes in kids and changes in their behavior patterns and um, their relationships at home with parents, their relationships at school, because we're that type. We're coaches that, okay, they're cutting up in school. We get a phone call from the teacher. The teachers have our numbers. Right. So they can call us and say, hey, and we'll pop up at the school. <laughs> hey, man, you cut, we're like a parent, an extra parent or the parent will call us and say, I got a bad report on him today. I wasn't going to let him come to practice for a week on punishment. But they understand we always tell the parent, don't punish him like that. Don't take the sport from him. Right. Because it's not the same situation when a child is playing sports via privilege versus playing sports because someone's trying to pull you into it and you need it. So if they need it, they need it. If you take it from them, it further hurts them. It doesn't get them to act right. They just find something worse to swap that time out with it. So parents begin to understand that. And so when kids are academically falling off, when there's behavioral issues, when they're not responding correctly at home, they come to us and we're like a second set of disciplinarians. And they usually kind of tend to straighten up after that. That's so cool. That's so cool. Um well, I think I first came across you guys when I saw a video circulate on Twitter um, when you guys were working out on UIC's field at yeah. Curtis Granderson Stadium. And I'm a UIC nut. So anytime I see anything with UIC <laughs> on, on social media, I click on it and take a look. And um, what I noticed was that uh, Pitching Ninja, that Twitter account, was kind of directing everybody towards your page. And I think most of the people that listen to our show are familiar with Pitching Ninja and kind of how he became who he is. So how did that connection start? Were you familiar with him before he started directing people your way? Yes, but it's a really funny story. I'll try to tell it quickly. And I, I love Rob Friedman. I love Pitch Ninja. Uh, so one of our staff slash board members slash all together superheroes, I call him Super Cooper, Cooper Thompson. So Cooper kind of came more from the northern part of the city, right? And he linked up with us like a long time ago, like seven, eight years or so. Cooper's been with us maybe longer. I don't know. And Cooper, is, but Cooper is so amazing. He's now, you know, become one of my best friends. He's now the godfather to my youngest son, King Carter, that was here. And Cooper and I had some really great experiences, good and bad, that contributed to who we are and how we've 
help this organization grow. And so he actually connected with Pitching Ninja first. And so I followed Pitching Ninja because Cooper followed him. And then I saw like, yo, this is a really cool uh, handle and account. And so I was just, you know, loving everything Rob was doing. And then I started following other people because of Rob, like Driveline Baseball and Devin Morgan and uh, uh, Mike, uh, what's Mike's name, last name, Mike R over at Driveline and a bunch of other people, right? And then Rob created Flatground app. And so the first thing that happened with us before. Um, is it Mike Rothwell? Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. All Mike right. Rothwell. So, yeah, Le- um, hey, Levante, don't get don't get Mitch going on player development. We'll be here for five hours. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, it was so dope, though, man. He the first time he helped us. Uh, thanks to Cooper. They did like a T-shirt fundraiser for us. And, you know, part of the proceeds went to us. And I forgot how much, but they raised, you know, a nice penny for us. And um then from there, the next thing happened was we had a young man um, been with us a couple of years and he hadn't had much high school baseball experience, but loved baseball. So he wanted to play big kid. He's like six, seven, six, eight now, 20 years old. And he's playing now at uh, Harris Stowe University in St. Louis. It's an HBCU. Yeah. And uh, so he played locally here at Olive Harvey first. That's one of my patterns is I try to send if they're not ready for four year. Send them Juco here and then get a look for four year. Well, the problem always was that look in between the two. Right. And understanding NCAA uh, recruiting rules. And so I was always apprehensive about trying to reach out to college coaches to get some of these kids some looks. And I didn't have this you know, great reputation where college coaches just listen to me. And I still don't. Um, but thanks to Rob, a kid like Jaleel got all this exposure and he never played travel ball. He only had a couple of years of high school baseball under his belt, no little league, but this kid is like, I think reaching 90 now on his fastball. But, um, Cooper, you know, Cooper took him, and I forget which facility set it up for us that helped us. Uh, oh man, I got I want to give him credit, but he was able to go there and film. I want to say it was with, Pitch Ninja, but I could be off here or driveline. But he filmed his sessions, his bullpen sessions, and Cooper put him out. Rob put him on flat ground app. Literally the next day, the kid had like 17 inbox messages from college coaches. So Cooper took the kid and drove him around the country to visit these colleges. They went to Nebraska, all kinds of places. And so he ended up settling on St. Louis. But yeah, that's the just the power of uh, pitching ninja and yeah just so we're very grateful and then you know rob's been still there for us so uh recently like you said as of all of the social unrest uh rob really rallied around us and we're so grateful and humbled and his network rallied around us. i mean i'm just so amazed i'm so glad that sports players aren't shutting the hell up and just playing sports i'm so glad the sports players black white Asian, Hispanic, everybody, gay, straight, that Republican, Democrat, whatever. We're all speaking up. I mean, I've never been more moved. I know the story has now changed. But like, for example, we should all still be proud Americans about what we saw at NASCAR with Bubba Wallace, all of the drivers, the whole NASCAR family. Forget about if the rope was a noose. Forget about who put it there. You know, personally, now I'm looking at it. I think eh, maybe it wasn't a noose. Maybe it was. It doesn't really matter. What mattered was the message that NASCAR sent to everybody. 
And that's what I love about sports. And that's what I love about baseball. I said that eventually, after its own problems, this is what baseball has done for America. I will stand on that all day long. I will tell people that a lot of integration has to be credited to baseball and the struggles and the fights on that field because it opened so many doors for so many other things to happen. Think about it. We gave women. Women's suffrage started on the baseball field. I don't care what nobody says. It started really, 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 really. I mean, it started way before that. But if you really think about it, um, it really helped in sports and everything else. When the men went off to the war and the women stayed and played baseball, uh, that was amazing, right? It opened the door for everything else. Fast pitch softball, all this other amazing stuff. Well, actually, fast pitch softball has a long history. But, um, yeah, just amazing, man. I think our platform is different. But I'm so proud of what's happening in sports right now. Yeah, it's it's super exciting to see people. And sports have always been a way for people um, with differences, different backgrounds, you know, coming from different cultures can kind of get together and, and learn about each other. And I think that's such an important aspect of it. I'm curious. Uh, obviously, Lost Boys Inc. Have, has done a, a ton already. What's kind of the next step for you guys? Is there anything kind of in the works that you're you're looking forward to getting to? Yeah, Mitch, I always say think big, dream big. If you fall short, wherever you land is going to be pretty good. So as for us, COVID put a little a little hiccup in the plan, but it's nothing. We'll move on past it. So for the future, we're hoping and looking to expand into about two or three more communities um, in the coming year, year or two. Um, we're looking to finally build our own facility right here in South Shore. Hopefully that's the first of many. Um, so, you know, we want something similar to what some of our friends have, like like driveline baseball. I'm actually talking a little bit or trying to talk with them a little bit now and, you know, see what could possibly be done. But, yeah, we're really excited about that. So we're trying to start a capital development campaign and raise about we think it'll cost us about 400, 450. Not a really big building right now. It'll be more vertical than it is anything. And it'll give us enough space where we can train. Kids can come and get help with their homework and have a quiet space to do that. We'll have a clubhouse where they can just chill out, have food, games, TV, whatever they want to do. Um, so, you know, they'll be able to come do their school stuff, do their baseball workouts, study film, uh, talk with coaches, hang out, you know, whatever. Just a safe space, man, and we can do our own thing. Because right now, we, you know, we sublease a lot of space. And we always quickly outgrow the space that we're subleasing with other organizations. And so it's really nice to have your own home, I think. Yeah, um, that sounds awesome, to be honest. That's like every kid's dream, just to go to a place where you can play video games after school and eat good food and then throw a bullpen. So you're set. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I wanted to get to some Curtis Granderson talk while we have you here. So yes. uh, Mitch and I were lucky enough to be around him while we were at UIC. And I, I know you're grateful for the work that he's done here in Chicago. Have you had the chance to work or communicate with him? And what kind of comes to mind when you think of Curtis? Now, it, it's funny as ever. And um, I'm starting to I'm looking at Mitch more and more. And both of y'all, I'm like, dang, have I seen him out there? Um <laughs> You we know, it's making, funny. It's funny. We're probably making ten that. bucks an hour trying to keep the lights on while you guys were working. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We yeah, were uh, we were joking about it before. I was like, man, I swear, I, I swear, I've seen him before. Like, I, I I've been, I ha I'm sure I've been out there. I, mean, I think so. I'm pretty sure because we've been down there. Like, oh man, it's been a few years now. 
thanks to to Grandy man. So I don't have, and I'm really trying. I, I tweet him all the time. He doesn't tweet back yet. No, not Grandy, but I'm trying to get to personally know him. I'm not trying to be a stalker because I tell you honestly, he sent us like five thousand in equipment donation. Um, you know, he had to deal with I think it was. Uh, Wilson or Rawlings or something. So he hooked us up, man, with five grand worth of new stuff, gloves, catcher's gear. This is a couple of years ago, a few years ago. And so I did one of the mistakes he made. The packing label had his actual address on it. And I was almost tempted to show up at his house and give him a hug and thank him. But then I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I don't need to get locked up for being a stalker. But yeah, <laughs> I, I'm really looking to actually get to know him personally. I don't. Uh, but I'm so still grateful. We've benefited tremendously from his efforts uh, with UIC, with Les Miller Field, with, with uh, you know, Curtis Grandison Stadium and, um, and, and, you know, his grandkids foundation. But more importantly, what has been established in the with my very good friend, Eric Davis, a part of the big shout out to Eric Davis. Now he's running the base Theo Epstein's program that he brought from Boston to Chicago on the west side. My man, E.D., uh, you know, help start that Chicago baseball education and uh, Chicago baseball CBEA, right? Chicago baseball education, yeah. baseball and education academy. So we were one of the early uh, beneficiaries of that, that new creation. So we we're one of the first teams and organizations that connected and that that was coming down to UIC to Les Miller. And we're still, you know, in it. But now, as you know, it's grown so much that it's even hard to get down there and get some space. But uh, Coach Flood always hooks me up and he makes sure that we still, you know, get some time down there. So I love Coach Flood. Big shout out to John Flood if he's listening. Coach, thank you. Um, but, yeah, man, we love UIC. Has a special place in our heart. So schools like that, I'm just saying, honestly, being candid, as we go through you know, the sensitive topic about race that, that we needed to have, that we're having, that's finally, I'm so glad it's coming out like it is now. But schools like that, I don't need to hear a statement from because they don't, they've been showing us love. They've been brought us down there. Uh, the school helped us to really stabilize our programs and give those kids an opportunity to play on some amazing fields or an amazing field. Well, the softball field too. Because our girls have come down there and benefited and they've, you know, we've had UIC players come over to us and help the girls on their own time. Uh, Mary McConnell, is that Mary? Mary Connolly was the pitcher a couple of years ago. Mary has since gone on. Uh, you know, we love Mary. And then I could just keep going through the, uh, the Coach Curley, right? Coach Curley, Curlio. Uh, so everybody's Curlio, just been yeah. really, yeah. yeah, everybody's just been so cool. So awesome. And we've actually, with the assistance of John Flood and Eric Davis and the CBEA, I think we helped open that door a lot more for other leagues, right? So initially my gut was like, I be selfish. Don't tell nobody about this. My precious. Don't tell any other teams. And then we won't get as much time down here. But we started sharing. And, you know, coach has been great. We've hosted our fall ball league. Uh, for the last three or four falls. So, you know, in August and September, we start coming down. And so we've got teams coming from Berwyn and um, uh, we all over the city, man. They get in, in with us for fall ball. And so it's really cool because you see all of these kids like a rainbow coming from all over the city uh, to play a little baseball. And then, of course, the city has that big tournament that UIC is very gracious of 
hosting. I think we, I don't know if we'll, I don't think we'll have it this year because of COVID, but I know we're returning to baseball now, but I think they'll probably be cautious and it won't happen this year, which will be a bummer. But that one was always really good too, because you brought all these teams together for a couple of days from all around the city and then they would eat together and then play each other or vice versa. And so, yeah, you just, you know, you need moments like that. For sure. How do you, how do you guys measure the success of Lost Boys? You guys have so many beneficial components to what you have going on. Uh, I saw one little nugget that you guys had an average grade increase of, of 0.2, which is essentially a B minus to a B. And what's, what's your favorite metric to look at and, and kind of finalize the success that you guys have made? It's changed over the years. You know, initially my first metrics were always around baseball progression and how much better they got as players. Uh, it shifted from that to the academic stuff for a while. I looked at that, how much they improved. Uh, but I got to say now, I think probably out of everything, my favorite metric is now in the areas of social emotional learning. So just seeing where kids are having uh, growth in areas that deal with their emotional awareness and their emotional intelligence. So seeing this progress, I think, is now my favorite metric of them all. Yeah, and that's that's such a hard that's such a hard piece to to quantify. But obviously, with your such deep personal relationships with these players and, and kids, I'm sure you just see it. Um, and I'm sure you see it kind of transform before your eyes. I mean, year after year, I'm sure the transformation is just fun to watch. Yeah, you do. And really all the metrics and stuff, you know, that's that's a lot of, you know, it's really great internally. But that to me, that stuff is all really for funders and it's external. But internally, man, you know, there's so much anecdotal evidence that we know the stuff is impactful, that we're having an impact. Um, I mean, if I'm walking down the street or I'm, I'm going somewhere, this has happened now, especially lately, frequently. And, you know, Young men and young women have come up to me maybe in their early 20s and they'll say, hey, Coach Levante. And I look at them and, and then I'll remember who they are and say, hey, such and such, how you been? What you, what you been doing with yourself? And so, you know, I'll get a lot of them and they'll tell me how they're doing. And most of them are, are doing pretty good. And oftentimes, though, I'll hear a man. I had fun when we was with Lost Boys. You still doing baseball? Yeah. And then they some of them may. Give me a personal story and tell me how it impacted their lives and how it changed some tra- part of the trajectory of their life. And so to me, that is that's the, the you know, that's the greatest metric I could ever get is somebody just remembering what we did and saying that we had an impact on their lives. That that means more to me than any metric that I could I could dig up in statistical analysis. Yeah, I love hearing how involved you guys are outside of the kids sport, you know, athletic careers and that you guys are involved in the classroom with their personal life, because it's one thing to be involved in sports and you'll have parents look at it in a way where, all right, I'm going to go sign my kid up for basketball. So he gets out of the house and gives him something to do. But if they go to basketball and they're not actually getting away from their problems or they're not actually learning anything from whoever's running the program or their coach or the kids that they're playing with, then you're really not making any progress. Right. Absolutely. And and yeah, and absolutely, Jack. And that's something we really focused on quite a few years ago. And that's why we really um, 
really, really fell in love with the whole sports-based youth development theory. And then learning, like I said, from uh, Megan Bartlett and Dr. Bruce Perry about the brain and uh, trauma-sensitive coaching. And so up to us, built up their repertoire of trainings and Laureus uh, USA. I can, I've got to mention Laureus. They've been a huge uh, supporter. And so that was an organiz- a global organization started by, you know, inspired by Nelson Mandela some time ago and the Springbok, the South African Springbok, uh, the, you know, national rugby team. And so it just really grew. And what it is, is it's this huge coalition of all organizations like ours. They use the power of sport to change the world. And so, yeah, you get a chance. If you don't know much about them, check them out. They're really amazing. They're in a few of the major cities here in America. We're built in USA. We're building a, a huge coalition. It's called Model Cities in each city. So, uh, Chicago has Sport for Good. Chicago, there's Sport for Good. Atlanta, there's Sport for Good. New York, and so forth, right? And then we have Sport for Good South Africa, and so we're all over the place. And I, I got to get with everybody a couple of years ago. We all descended on. Good old gay Paris. So I was in Paris in 2018 with all of these athletes, some legendary athletes. Um, uh, man, like Edwin, uh, Edwin Moses, uh, Carl Lewis. Uh, man, I was just in these places. Uh, what's our guy from the Ravens? I should know his name. The linebacker. You know, there's always these. Ray Lewis. Ray Lewis. Ray Lewis was there. So, you know, I was trying not to be starstruck because I've had my chance, my, 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 you know, my little run of connecting with, with stars and pro athletes. But, yeah, being like in that was dope. And so, yeah, having such a, a network like that and I have all this information and I can pull in and train my coaches and really shape the organization and the programs so that, you know, man, it's really it's like a complicated sandwich, a delicious sandwich that you're going to get when you come to Lost Boys. So, yeah, we may get parents sometimes that are just trying to get their kids into something or into sports. But the, 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 the cause that we really get is, hey, I can't do nothing with this kid. He's getting out of control. Somebody referred us to you or my son is such an introvert. He doesn't like to step out the house. All he wants to do is sit on the video game all day. He doesn't have any friends. Da 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 da. And so then those are the kids we want. By the time we're done with them, they move from introverts to extroverts. It might take a few years, but it usually happens. So yeah, yeah that's the challenge. I basically said that we're the sandlot league for the kids that don't get picked at the sandlot. <laughs> I love it. Um, Levante, thank you so much for chatting, man. That was awesome. And, um, I know Mitch and I didn't have too much knowledge about what you guys were doing and and what you said was eye opening. and, um, we're going to do our best to help out and where can we kind of direct people if they were looking to do the same thing? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm looking forward to it. Thank you guys for allowing me to come on today and to share our story. I greatly appreciate it. We all do. Uh, and we're definitely looking forward to doing some stuff with you guys. Um, yeah, so if people want to learn more or they're interested in helping out or, you know, supporting monetarily, whatever they want to do, you can find it. They can find us at mm-hmm. www.lostboysinc.org. That's boys with a Z, B-O-Y-Z. Uh, same thing, our Twitter handle, our Instagram, our Facebook is all Lost Boys Inc. You got to put the ink on there, y'all, or you're going to find the New York hip hop group. 
<laughs> or something else. But, um, yeah, so they can find us on all social and, and our website. Awesome. We'll head over to Lost Boys Inc., check out Levante and his crew, and uh, we'll definitely stay in touch and maybe have you on down the road. All right, guys. Thanks for having me on. And as we always finish up at Lost Boys with a simple saying, go hard or go home. Love that. Thanks, Levante. I love it. Thanks, guys. Take care.